This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB today by Tommy Johnson. Many in Scotland will know him from his spells at Celtic and Kilmarnock, but also played at Notts County, Derby, Aston Villa, Everton for a brief spell, Sheffield Wednesday, Gillingham and a few others as well. Tommy, how are you? Morning, Callum. Yeah, fine, thank you. You? Yeah, not bad at all. Not bad. And I want to start with what you're up to now. You're the head of recruitment at Blackpool Football Club. Um, there was speculation, obviously, very heavily at the time linking you with Southend, but Blackpool's where you ended up. What does your role involve there? I'm head of recruitment, Callum, which basically oversees the scouting, uh, the scouts, dealing with agents, watching players, and liaising with the manager all the time and the coaching staff about what players we like to bring in and what players we need to get rid of, basically. So, uh, like a chief scout role, but it's, it's like head of recruitment now. So it's uh, dealing with all parts of that for the first team. In terms of managing the scouting, do you sort of set the scouts' assignments? Is that your role or does that come from the manager? No, it's from us. Uh, <clears throat> we obviously, we've just got a new manager in at the minute, Neil Critchley from Liverpool 23. So yeah. his philosophy of the way the game should be played is different from... Simon Grayson, who was the previous manager, so uh, he hasn't had long in the in the job, but we sat down as soon as he comes in and he stipulated which way he wants to play, which gives us a better idea of what kind of players we should be going after. Uh, normally, when obviously when lockdown's not here and things are back to normal, we'll, uh, I've got a team of about six scouts and there's me and a technical scout and we've got a stats data analysis and we'll sit down and go through the weekly schedule for the games for the scouts and uh, we'll just direct them to the games that we feel fit and allocate them to them. So we've got scouts like all over the country and uh, Darren Jackson works for us up in Scotland. So it's uh, we get through a number of games a week during lockdown now. It's mainly just watching players on the laptop, trying to get a feel for them. Obviously, I don't think the football, the way it's going at the minute, we'll not be able to get to games live until probably January time, probably at the earliest. So I think this is the way scouting is going to be going for the next six or seven months. In terms of scouting, is that a role that you now prefer to coaching? Oh, good question, Callum. Well, when Simon left in, I think it was February, uh, David Dunn took over the ex-Blackburn Blackburn, uh, player and I was well, this his assistant so the club had asked me, the owner and chief exec had asked me to help out back on the training pitch so I had to dust the boots down and for four games I was back on the pitch so the scouting job took like a back seat for the, for the four weeks but uh, 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting back on the pitch, no problem at all. But I knew deep down, I always said when I said I'd take over, I'd want to go back to the recruitment side. Would I go back into coaching again, Callum? Yes, it's got to be the right job, obviously. And circumstances and all that. But I do love recruitment side of it. You know, it's uh, something I've been doing for about 10 years now. So, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, they're both great jobs. But as I said, recruitment's what I'm doing at the minute and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. In terms of your role as head of recruitment, do you think the fact that you've played the game at a very high level helps you in that regard when it comes to spotting a player and maybe even also getting instant respect <coughs> from players, maybe even at a lower level? I think it helps, definitely. Uh, well, I finished retired, God, how long ago now? 14, 15 years ago, but apart from a couple of years after when I retired, I'm, I've been involved in the game since I was 16, so... I think it certainly helps that you probably can see things on the pitch that say non-football people can't, but and that's no disrespect to them. It, uh, but everybody's different, you know. We we sat and have scout meetings, recruitment meetings, and everybody's got an opinion, and you just bring all them opinions together to try and sign the best players that you possibly can. So it's uh, it's I wouldn't say it's a difficult job, but it's. Uh, as I said, there's lots of people with opinions about players, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling my hands up. You get you get things wrong, you know, and then you listen to other people and you hear what they've got to say about a certain player, and you take that take that on. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly helped over the years, especially with the contacts wise as well. You know, people obviously realise that you did play the game, and you know, once you get I'm not on the circuit, shall we say, and go watching games, you always see. The, the same scouts knocking around and uh, I've been fortunate enough as well to work abroad, you know, when I was at Cardiff with Malky Mackay. Uh, you know, I was European scout there, so I was like in France, Spain, Sweden, wherever it took us, you know, just to go and watch players. But So, it's uh, yes, it's very interesting. Interesting role indeed. And the last question I've got for you on Blackpool, um, without running into the politics over the years, as we know, the, the, the former owner was someone who the fans weren't too keen on. That situation's changed. How good has that been from a staff member's point of view that the fans are really back on board and excited about the future of their club again? Well, I can't really comment on the previous owners and what they were like, but I think you can surmise what they were like, you know, and the, and the, with the fans staying away and, and things like that. Uh, been in the Premier League and then all of a sudden, you know, they've had a, a dodgy last few years where they've just plummeted down the leagues. It's uh, it's a great place to work. You know, we've got a new owner, Simon Sadler, who's, you know, he's a fan and he's uh, he wants to get the club back up to the highest level as quickly as possible, along with the chief executive, Ben Mansford. And... I think if you'd asked us a year ago, would would you see yourself at Blackpool? The answer would have probably been no. But uh, I've gone into a club where it's exciting. The fans are coming back. There's a new brand, you know, a new kit sponsorship there, and the advertising and the commercial side is is rocketed now. And the fans are coming back to watch football. You know, we're getting ten, eleven, twelve thousand at the minute. Well, not at the minute, but when just before lockdown. So, and I think attracting players that we did in January to the club, you know, from Premier League clubs on loan has helped a lot and 
and I think it's it's a club definitely on the up. To rewind now back to your playing <coughs> days, born in Gateshead. What was it like growing up there? Can I and... stop you, Callum? Can I stop you there? I was born in Newcastle, so I don't know. I know. I think it's on. I've been mentioned, but. I think you, you probably realise Geordies and Mackhams don't get on. So if people hear that I was born in Gateshead, they'd class me as a Mackham. So I was born in Newcastle. I said that. I said that. Born in Newcastle. Um, what was it like growing up there? And of course, were you always a striker? Uh, people just live for football up in the northeast. You know, and I think ever since I can remember as a little lad playing football in the fields with all the me, me mates and all the all the people. Uh, it's funny enough. I watched the Gaza documentary the other day and watching him when he was turning out for Newcastle in the late eighties before he went to Tottenham. You know, and it was uh, and you can see behind the goal at Gallagher End, and I used to stand there as a kid and watch the games. It's. Uh, it's just football daft, you know, and then we would probably go on to Celtic and what it's like up in Scotland. But uh, the passion and and the way the people live their lives up there, I think it was just a case of getting the pay packet on a Friday and then going to watch Newcastle on Saturday. It was, uh, it was a great place to be brought up. In terms of yourself growing up, obviously you're, you're up north and then interest comes in from you from Notts County what was that like because it's a long way from home it was yeah uh, I was playing for the school the district the county Sunday team and then uh, Notts County had a scout up in the northeast John Allen along with many other clubs and I came down I think I was just before my 14th birthday and just loved it the club was such a family club it was in the old it was in League One as it is now and every school holidays I just couldn't wait to get back down and be part of it you know I was playing reserves at 15 you know for the annual Central League and I always thought from the first moment that I went there that I just wanted to join when I left school Newcastle did come in for us you know and offered me an apprenticeship but I think they were in the championship first division as it is now uh, Premier League as it is now shall I say sorry and I just felt it was a smaller club I could if I'd done well I'd probably get in the first team quicker and I just no disrespect to my family but I just wanted to leave home and see what it was like away from home if I didn't like it I could always go back but I'm still living in the area now so it must have been <laughs> must have done well for us and I think I made the right decision Callum you know I started well I was in the team at I got in, uh, made my debut when I was 17. had two promotions at Wembley by the time I was uh, 20. So I can definitely say I made the right decision in, in the early part of my uh, football career. You mentioned it was a very successful time. When you were at Notts County, you were, you were scoring goals, um, winning promotions, as you say, being a prolific goal scorer. See, when you were playing there week in, week out, especially at a young age, did you just go into each game with no fear and, and thinking, right, I'm going to score today? No fear whatsoever. Uh, we've done, it was 30 years, God, last week, since we won our first promotion when I was counting. We had a little uh, Zoom call with Craig Short and Neil Warnock, and just reminiscing about the times. And the gaffer always said, he said, he, it was me and Mark Draper who were the young ones at the same age as me. And he says, we just didn't have any fear. We just enjoyed playing football. 
which is right. I think you get more nervous as you get older. We'll probably go on to that, you know, when you get your big moves. But uh, it was just a case of enjoying the football. You know, we were the smaller club in Nottingham and no one expected us to do anything. But when Neil Warnock come in, we just went on a, a, a great ride for the next three years, which was fantastic, you know. You're playing at Wembley when you're 19 in front of, I think it was 30,000 the first time and then about 60,000, 70,000 the following year. And it was uh, it was brilliant. And, you know, it was an absolute, said before, a great start in my career. And we bought, and we won both the promotions to get into the, as it is, the Premier League now. So and I just remember our first away game in the Premier League was against Man United, you know, playing against like one of my idols, Brian Robson. And... Yeah, we got absolutely battered, like, but uh, it was uh, it was a great experience. You mentioned Neil Warnock there. Just what was Neil Warnock like at that time as a manager? Because when you look, think of promotions, he is the promotion specialist when it comes to the lower leagues in England. The gaffer was brilliant for me. He said uh, we we were labelled a long ball team, but we we were better than that. We had decent players, you know, and. Yes, we probably got the ball into the opposition's half a lot quicker, but uh, he gave me a role where he used to just say, just go wherever you want. You know, uh, we played three up front, and as long as we had the big centre forward in the middle, there was me and whoever else was playing. We just used to switch from playing on the left or right, but he just used to say, go on. He says, I'm not going to tell you how to play or where to play. You just, and that probably just gave me uh, just freedom to do what I liked on the pitch. and. Fortunately enough for me, I got into the right position at the right time and scored a few goals. So he was, his man management was different class. You know, we did have a laugh, we did have enjoyment, but when we did work on the training ground, we worked. And as I said before, we had a great team. You know, there was a lot of players went on to have great careers. Craig Short, Dean Yates, Mark Draper, for example. And uh, the two wins at Wembley were thoroughly deserved. You know, there was no doubt about it. You talked about that level of fearlessness where you were getting into each game, just playing your natural game and not worrying about anything else. When you got your first call up to the England under-21s, what was that like for you? Was that a moment where you went, wow, well, this is this is getting serious now? Yeah, I think I was, what year was it, 1990? So I think I was 19 and we were in the championship as it is now. And I just remember... I think uh, uh, me and Drapes, I don't know if Drapes got called up at the same time, but we actually got a game called off because I was called up. So it was uh, the first instance getting called up was fantastic. You know, I've, as I said, I've, I've done well at Knotts and, uh, and then you're meeting, you're going down, you're, I was dead nervous, obviously, you know, I was at a smaller club and you've got the likes of Lee Sharp there, Kevin Campbell, and Alan Shearer, Andy Cole, David James. You know, all household names in the Premier League, and then there's little me coming from Notts County, you know. But uh, to be fair, the lads made you feel absolutely welcome. It was a great experience. And uh, as I said, it was just another progression in my career, and, and one obviously you cherish for the rest of your life. And, you know, I've got the caps, I scored a couple of goals for them, and uh, I'm still friends with a lot of the players who I played with such a long time ago. You mentioned Shearer and Andy Cole there. Being a striker, what was it like playing with them at that stage? And could you tell they were going to go on to, to have top top careers? 
you could say that, yeah, even in training, you know, it was a lot quicker, you know, you could tell that they were obviously at big clubs. Uh, I think the first, oh, I'm trying to go back now, but I think it was uh, obviously Alan Shearer and uh, Kevin Campbell. And you look at their careers that they had, you know, unbelievable. And uh, actually roomed with Alan a couple of times. So uh, I think they just stuck the Geordies together. But yeah, I think... It, the progression, I think not long after the 21s, I think Alan actually got into the senior team. Well, that's, that sums it up because his progression was quite, as you say, quite fast, it's fair to say, and then he went on to maintain it for so many years, which which sums that up as well. And to get back to, to, to you and Tommy, in terms of Notts County, we talked about the promotions, the fact you were scoring regularly. When the interest from Derby County came in, what was it that attracted you to to join them? Uh, they just brought a new owner in, and they were investing a lot in the team. Arthur Cox was a manager of Newcastle when I used to support them, and I just felt I think there was a bit of interest from the Premier League at the time, but I just felt you know for the progression. It was uh, it was probably better for me to go to the championship first and then progress if I'd done well. Uh, it held out the fact that Derby's 15 minutes from where I lived in Nottingham. So it wasn't a case of uprooting and moving house and leaving me friends, family and all that. So I just thought it was a good progression. Uh, and I loved my time at Derby. It was just a case of not you know, putting the piece into the jigsaw, the final piece of getting promotion at Wembley when we got beat off Leicester. But uh, apart from that, uh, everything was fantastic about the club, you know, got great memories. But the only sad thing was obviously the Wembley appearance. What was the old baseball ground like? Because when people think Mm -hmm. of Derby now, you've obviously got the big shiny stadium, but back Mm -hmm. then the baseball ground was a proper old school, like, like the Dell at Southampton, for instance, proper old school fans on top of the pitch. Absolutely fantastic, Cam. When that place was full, it was absolutely bouncing. You were so close to the pitch that, you know, the, the fans could actually drag you into the stand. But uh, the atmosphere was brilliant, you know, and they are very, very passionate fans. It was, uh, <laughs> the pitch was tight, you know, during winter it'd be boggy. But uh, as I said, the fans were fantastic and and, and you just wanted to play for them. Again, you talked about the Wembley situation this time with Derby. See, having won at Wembley a few times, when you suffer that defeat against Leicester, I mean, what was that like? Because I imagine when you're used to success, it, it can be hard to take. It was horrible. You know, the Premier League then had just been established for a couple of years and... That was our main aim. I think that's why the owner came in and with Arthur and Roy McFarland there and the players that we'd invested in at the club. You know, we were on such a roll at the time. We were, I think we won the last, I think it was six or seven games and we're going into the playoffs absolutely flying. We beat Millwall over the two legs and then the Leicester game. It was a, it was a case, I think, Brian Little, and we'll go into that in a minute, Brian Little was manager of Leicester and he just played three giants up front and just launched the ball up to them and you know we I think I scored first we win them 1-0 we had a couple of more chances to kill the game off we didn't uh, and Leicester got a goal back and then I think they scored with about oh, within the last 10 minutes 
uh, after the game, I was distraught. You know, I was on the pitch, I was crying, and it was just horrible because you think, you know, we were desperate to get to the Premier League, and we were just so unfortunate that we didn't. It was uh, probably that's, on the pitch. That's probably the worst uh, worst feeling I've ever had. You mentioned the fact that very close to the Premier League, but just miss out. Brian Little, who you talked about there, being the manager of Leicester. When he goes to Aston Villa and he shows interest in you, just how good a feeling was that to, for you personally to, to then get to the Premier League? Just so ironic, Callum. That was a thing, you know, that uh, if we'd got promotion with Derby, I would have signed a new contract without a shadow of doubt and you would have been playing in the Premier League. And funny enough, as it sounds, I think we were more, the team that we are would have probably been more suited to the Premier League. You know, we played some expansive football, but it just wasn't to be. And then, so I was going at the last year of my contract. It was, uh, and I think it was Christmas time. You know, I'd, I'd play, I'd started the season well, done okay, got injured for a bit and then came back. And then just so ironic that the, uh, Brian Little's left Leicester, who beat up some promotion, gone to Aston Villa, and now wants to sign it. It was... Uh, Definitely, yeah. I think I think every player realised how when you've been at a club, it's time to probably move on. You know, at Notts County, it was time to move on, to progress to Derby. And then I just felt at that time I was ready for the Premier League. And you never know if it's never going to happen again. So I think I knew, obviously, Villa were definitely in for us. The agent had kept us informed and there was a couple of other clubs interested as well from the Premier League. But... Uh, once I'd spoke to Brian Little and the clubs had agreed a fee, it was uh, that was where I was going to go. Well, in terms of Villa, you 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 think of Villa? Well, I do anyway. Of has been one of the real historic clubs, English football, European Cup winners, the history that they've got. Just what was it like getting to to join them and and of course then playing for them because the fans are incredibly passionate. Definitely, that was probably the most nervous I was. Going and walking into that dressing room with Gary Charles, we went in a joint deal from Derby, a lot of money at the time, and walking in, and then you're looking at the, around the dressing room, and who were all seasoned internationals. You've got Andy Townsend, Steve Staunton, Nigel Spink, Paul McGrath, you know Ray Houghton, Kevin Richardson, a lot of experience in there, and they just won the cup two years, uh, the year previously in 1994, so. You walk in and then you just realise and after you've just got to step it up another gear. You know, the manager has invested a lot of money in you, so obviously thinks you can play at that level. But when you walk in there, that dressing room was a bit frightening. But uh, again, with all the clubs I've been at, the, the players make you feel so welcome and want you to be part of it. And obviously, once you get over that nervousness and all that, it was just, it was an exciting time. The gaffer was building a, a younger team. He uh, he done it quietly, but he quick uh, he got rid of the elder, more elder statesmen, elder statesmen in the dressing room, most of them anyway, and then was building a younger team, a younger team, uh, and he was probably the one of the first ones to introduce the three at the back. You know, he played, we played a three-five-two. It was a great system for the players we had, and kept a few of the more experienced ones and brought us younger ones in as well to enhance it <clears throat> and for the two and a half years I was there it was an absolutely brilliant time to be at the club you know we won the we came fourth and fifth in the league we played in Europe and we won the 
uh, the League Cup as well and got to the semi-final of the FA Cup. So it was an absolutely fantastic time and things were going really, really well on the football pitch. You mentioned those big characters and seasoned pros and internationals. No disrespect to Notts County and Derby, but see when you go into Villa and you've got those seasoned internationals, you mentioned the, the likes of Townsend, McGrath and others there. Does training step up another level because of the nature of those guys? Well, definitely. Yeah, obviously, as you said, they're all internationals. And as you mentioned, there's no disrespect to Notts County and Derby. But these are just been to the World Cup in America, uh, the Republic of Ireland. So you know what you're faced with. And it is, you've got to be on your guard all the time and you've got to make sure that you're, you're on par with them as you are on training. But uh, yeah, and it brings you on playing with better players. As I said, no disrespect to where I was, but it brings you on. It makes you better. And as I said, yeah, you, you get used to it and then, you know, and then you realise yourself you can actually do it. So it was, uh, as I said, it was an absolutely fantastic time. It, a great club to be at. And... You know, I don't, they haven't won a trophy since we won the League Cup in 1996. They've had a few peaks and troughs over the years, but uh, in the Premier League at the minute, but uh, fingers crossed they stay there. Absolutely. It's the money in the game now, as you know. It's quite sad at times when you think of the traditional clubs like like Villa, um, who have had ups and downs, as you've said, and, and trying to stay in the league. Whereas traditionally, when, when we both think of Villa, you'd be thinking definitely a an established Premier League side, but one player I want to ask you about, I know he was very good at Villa, from a selfish point of view for you, he probably at times maybe kept you out of playing through in the middle and forced you a bit wider. Dwight York, <coughs> what was he like as a person and also what was he like as a player? Different class, Yorker, yeah. Uh, obviously, we were around the same age. I think before the gaffer came in, he was used as a midfielder, he was used as a winger, but um, when the gaffer came in, he he seen straight away that he was a centre forward, and a amazing work rate, goal scorer, and such ability on the ball. You know, <laughs> used to walk into training ground sometimes. He'd be stood in a bin just keeping the ball up with his head. You know, his <laughs> a, a range array of skill was unbelievable, and a great lad as well. You know, it was a pleasure to play with him. The gaffer brought Savo in as well. I had more of a free role. He, he was when I was playing. It was, it was like a ten. You know, I could. It was the same again as when I was at North County. The gaffer when he first signed as the gaffer says, "I'll see you more as a free role." And I'm thinking, well, no, I'm a centre forward. But as time went on, he was right. I absolutely loved the free role because as long as I was working, I could go wide, I could go deep, I could go in behind, and then. Uh, and the gaffer just gave me so much confidence to just go out. And he used to just say, go on then, go, on, go out there and do whatever you want. And it worked. You know, it was, uh, it was a great position to play. In terms of the League Cup win, just describe that occasion. Because although you'd been to Wembley before for playoffs, that is one of the, the sort of major trophies in English football. It was, yeah. We... Uh, we were flying. We were we played Arsenal in the semi-final, and the first leg was away, and we were two 0 down after twenty minutes. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know that it was a great, it was an absolute one of the best games I've ever played in for for enjoyment. It was it was a ding dong battle, backwards and forwards, end to end. 
And York, he got us back into it. He got two goals. And we took them back to Villa Park. And on the previous Saturday, I got injured. It was probably one of the worst in- injuries I had, apart from me and Nate Celtic. I got, uh, I tore my thigh muscle in the FA Cup game at Ipswich. And that ruled me out of the second leg. And I trained the day before the, the actual cup final. And it was, in them days, it was three players which were allowed on the bench and the gaffer was always encouraging he says you get fit get yourself fit and you'll be on the bench which you know was unbelievable obviously we had a big squad as well so that was my aim just to get fit and I, I made it and trained the day before and then I was on the bench but and to be part of it was fantastic absolutely fantastic we absolutely battered Leeds you know we looked at their team they had a good team and Howard Wilkinson left Brian Dean and Rod Wallace on the bench, which we couldn't believe because they were on fire. And we absolutely battered them. Uh, Savo scored about 30 yards. And Yorkie and Ian Taylor scored. And uh, it was the time It was a t- time in your life, players nowadays, where, where you could celebrate. So we all stayed down afterwards in London. The club had laid on you know, booked a hotel out and everything. So everybody, players, staff and family all just stayed down in London and it was a, it was a great weekend, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And one player you mentioned there, Ian Taylor, in terms of him, he's, he's, he's an icon with Aston Villa fans. He's someone who Villa fans absolutely love. Being based in Scotland, I admire him because, as I say, I really, I'm quite a geek when it comes to the 90s as well. I love looking back, but what was he like mm-hmm. as a player? Because there were people listening to this that maybe aren't fully aware of him and his talent. Tales came to Villa about a couple of weeks before I did from Sheffield and midfielder, tall, skinny, but absolute. If anyone done any more running than him, you know, I'd have a great argument with him because his energy and enthusiasm was fantastic. And also he could play. You know, he just, he was... Uh, and I started rooming with him as well. So, <laughs> so he's a good mate of mine. Uh, but he was not an unsung hero, but he just got on with his job. And it's well known he was a Villa fan as a kid. You know, he's played there for many, many years. And he's now an ambassador of the club. So that just shows how affectionately he is found by everyone at the club and all the fans. And he's always said it was his boyhood dream to play for Villa. And he, and he got to do that for many years. That's it. As you've said, that when it's your boyhood dream to play for a club, it must be sensational. And in te- before we come to the move to Celtic, how do you sum up your spell at Villa? Because as you say, it was a transitional period. You have the League Cup win, which is amazing. Getting to the FA Cup semi-finals <coughs> as well. Getting into Europe, finishing fourth in the Premier League. That's no mean feat as well. And the last season, a bit more frustrating in terms of opportunities. But overall, how do you how do you reflect? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, enjoyed every minute of it. Enjoyed every minute of it. It's a, it's a great club, as you've mentioned, with great history, great staff, great fans. Behind that halt end, once I get going, it's unbelievable. And uh, yeah, couldn't couldn't have wished for you know to play for a better club. It was uh, still affectionate, still go down there now and watching games, you know, getting invited back and to do match day hospitality and all that. It's uh, yeah, definitely a fantastic club. In terms of the move to move to Celtic, um, it was quite a, a late on move for you. 
um, given the circumstances. Were you aware of the size of Celtic before you joined them? I knew they were a big club, worldwide, fan base, all that. But no, you don't realise, unless you're obviously Scottish and you, you do. But uh, uh, it was quite, how did it, surreal how it worked out. Uh, I had a very good relationship with Brian Little. And he rang us up at home one night. He says, I need to see you. And he only lived like about half an hour away from us. And I went, oh God, I thought, what have I done now? I said, I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> and he just says, I need to see you. I need to speak to you. I went, okay then. So I went down with my agent because he was close to him as well. And he just said, I've got to tell you. He said, Celtic have come in for you. Uh, and because of the relationship we had, he says, I wanted to sit away from the ground and have a good chat with him, what your thoughts are and all that. And he says, if you want to stay, it's not a problem. He says, we'll give you a new contract now. You can sign a new contract. Oh, I'm giving you my blessing. Now. If you want to go, you can go. Uh, Derby had come in for us, back in for us a couple of weeks before. And, and Rangers had been, I think that was, there was rumours about going there. But uh, once Celtic had come in, that was it. Uh, you know, I sat for a few hours with a gaffer, pros and cons. And I knew if I never went, I'd just regret it for the rest of my life. I think it was the same with all my moves. Uh, up until that point, I was just, I thought, I'm, yes, I want to go. I definitely. And uh, so the next, I think it was a couple, of, there was um and arms about the fee, so it took a few days to sort of fee out. But once I'd finally agreed the fee, I just flew up. <clears throat> Um, the agent went off to sort all the finances out and all that. And then I just sat in the dressing room with Tommy Burns. It was fantastic. His passionate, passion, how passionate he was for the football club about football. You know, the way he spoke about how he wanted to play and the tactical awareness was unbelievable. I was just in awe and just sat there and said, I want to play for you. I want to play for you because I think you can obviously developed me as a player and I'm coming to one of the biggest clubs in the world as well so uh, it was uh, once I'd come up there that was it there was no problem I was signing it didn't matter what I signed for I was just getting me to sign and that was it in terms of coming in in the sort of March time that you did what was that like because it's towards the end of the season and how did Tommy Burns handle you and the, and the group of players as well no it was fine it was uh I thought it was a good thing, you know, I came on deadline day. I think with deadline day was different from down yep. in England to Scotland then. So, and, you know, they managed to get the paperwork done so I could play in the semi-final. Uh, I was just so excited. That was me, you know, flying up. It was, oh, it was great. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to be winning trophies, you know. It's, a, it's you know, Glasgow's a great city. The fans are absolutely fantastic. And I was just so looking forward to it. And then, and then the gaffer got the sack after about three weeks when I was there. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on at this place? What has happened? And, the, and the, the, you, you know the, you know how passionate the, the fans are and, the, and the, the way the journalism is up there, you know, they can, uh, can be cutting and it was, you're just reading the paper and it's like, oh, Celtic in crisis, what's going on? Rangers were going for nine in a row, 10 in a row or whatever. And you think, oh my God, what has happened here? I was so disappointed and angry that uh, the gaffer had been sacked. Of course, and I think with the iconic nature of 
of of him uh, when he left. It's it's one that's hard to take for so many people. And you mentioned the fact that you go up there expecting and hoping to win trophies, but at that time, as you know, Rangers were the dominant side. They were they were putting a lot of money in um, to their to their squad. They had some incredible footballers and talents that maybe, <laughs> as you know, maybe. Um, Scottish teams normally can't afford some people would say um, that was the case at the time but they, they had them at that time so they did so um, what I wanted to, to ask you was seeing terms of getting into that season where Rangers are going for 10 in a row just what was that pressure like because I interviewed Alan Stubbs and he said at first it was quite overwhelming and then the team bonding and the and the, the bond of the, the group really was what got you through definitely totally agree with what the Skulls is saying yeah uh... We had a, at all of the clubs I played for previously, you know, we had a great, great dressing rooms. And then when you go up to Celtic and you realize, you, and I'm hand on heart, you don't realize how intense it is and 10 in a row and all that. And you're saying, what's all this about? And then, and, but, but you soon realize, believe me, everybody is drilling it down your neck from all the Celtic fans. You've got to stop 10 in a row. You can't let them win it and all that. And you soon realise this is it. We lost the first two games, obviously. Rangers have won the league. That's it, 10 in a row. But as Stubbsy said, and it's been well, well documented about how good our team spirit was that season. You know, everyone mucked in together. You know, I didn't play, obviously, as much as I liked. Well, I hardly ever played with him. And, uh, but you were still part of the squad. And you're willing the lads to win the league. And, uh, you know, when we actually done it... Uh, Absolutely brilliant. The atmosphere on that day against St Johnston was, I was sat on the stand, I just had a knee off. And the atmosphere was fantastic. And to realise that you've stopped, you know, uh, Rangers getting that record of 10 in a row. It was, uh, it was a great season. We just bonded and bonded. Yes, we went out, it's been well documented. That was what got us through that season when we... And we all went out together as a team. One player I ask everyone from that era about is Craig Burley. He's a player who, oh, yeah. um, he was great that season. What was it like as a character? Because everybody always says, the moniest man in the world. Oh, yeah, he could moan for fun. We used to live next door to each other. So we used to travel into training every day. Me, you know, Bill, Morton, Johan, you know. Stubbsy was there. We all lived on the same estate up in Newton Men, so we were all very, very close. But when you Craig Burley was underrated as a player, you know, he just got on with his job. I know he, I think he won the Playwrights Award. He was absolutely fantastic for us. Everything you'd want in a midfielder. <clears throat> Energy, bombing on, good on the ball, and he scored goals as well. He was uh, absolutely and I'd, I'd done a podcast the other day about me probably the best 11 I've played with at Celtic and without a shadow of a doubt Burley was in there Do you think he's someone you mentioned the fact underrated do you think he's someone who wasn't appreciated enough by the fans at that time I'm not no I think if you ask anyone about Burles what they thought of him they'd say he was an outstanding player and done brilliant in the seasons that he was there Definitely, he's not a household name. No, not like, like your Henricks, you know. But, <clears throat> but I, I, I would have an argument with anyone who had said Craig Burley didn't do well for Celtic because I thought he was absolutely fantastic. 
in terms of two players I need to ask you about, um, Lubo Moravchik and Henrik Larsson. Mm. First of all, do you know which foot is Lubo's strong foot? Because so many <laughs> people don't. And just what was Larsson like to train with and play with? Lubo, uh, Joseph had brought him in. And he's probably one of the best signing Celtic have ever had. I think he was he was about 30 when he came in. This little lad. <coughs> and come onto the training ground. And as you mentioned, two-footed. Unbelievable skill. He used to wrap us all inside out. He never knew what foot he was. Never. And he'd just get it on from one foot to the other and then just stick it into the top corner. And then obviously playing games, it was going to take a corner. Like, well, Lubo, you better tell us which foot you're going to take it with first. Because and a great lad, you know, very, very difficult for him. Struggled with the language at first. But... Uh, a great lad, you know, quiet, unassuming, but as you soon got to know him, you know, a great lad, and we made him feel welcome in the dressing room, and what an outstanding player. Henrik, uh, the best I've ever played with, without a shadow of a doubt, what a centre-forward. Came in, then brought him in, I think, for 700 grand, what a bit of business that was. Settled in really well, you know, and... It was an absolute pleasure to play with. He seemed to know he was so unselfish. You know, we go go back to the goal when I scored against St. Mirren. If that was the other way around, I would add a shot. But he just laid the pass off to me for, for me to score. Uh, scored all sorts of goals. You know, he could score volleys, left footer, right footer, headers, tap-ins, curlers. Or he could blast the ball. But... Uh, and he went on to have even more success when he left with Barcelona and Man United. Absolutely. Uh, can't speak highly enough of him as like every, everybody else who was associated with Celtic would do. After um, Vim and stopping 10 in a row, Dr. Joe comes in, um, peaks and troughs in that season. And then obviously John Barnes. Why do you think it didn't work for John Barnes? Do you think it was just the wrong time for him? Oh, not at all. I just think he was uh, first and foremost. He was the wrong man. He was the wrong person for the job. Uh, as you can tell by the tone of my voice, Callum, I don't speak very highly of Mr. Barnes as a manager because he never involved me. I played the first half of a pre-season game in Norway, Denmark, wherever we went, and then and then that was it. And then I went down to Everton. So uh, my feelings about John Barnes as a manager is not very high, I'm afraid. And that was proved because he only lasted about eight months. So uh, next question, please. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. Um, you, you mentioned the fact he doesn't last long. And, and, and just to give you my personal view on it as well, I think... For the clubs like Celtic and Rangers, I think being a rookie manager and going into one of those jobs, no matter who you are and what you've achieved as a player, I think that's very tough. And um, if you look at the modern day and Steven Gerrard, he's, um, some people say, he's, well, people think he's making progress. You would have to say that they are making progress, that, that he is doing a, a decent enough job there. But then you've got the other detractors that say we need a, they need a proven winner to, 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 to close that gap. So as I say, I can imagine being a rookie manager isn't easy. And Following John, Kenny Douglas's caretaker, and then a better time for you, a time that um, fondly remembered by Celtic fans as well. 
Martin O'Neill comes in, just what was it like working with Martin? Because I imagine the complete polar opposite of the likes of John Barnes. Oh, definitely. You know, he had an affinity with the players. So going back to John Barnes, you know, it's been well documented. I was absolutely delighted when he left. You know, he made a couple of comments to us just as he was leaving. And, you know, but, and then I hired a few back at him. But it was, uh, I was just so glad he'd left. Kenny took over, as you say, and brought Tommy Burns back, which was a breath of fresh air for everyone associated with the club. You know, we won the cup, won the league cup, and that was the start of it again. You know, I was, I felt part of the squad. I was playing, I scored in that cup final. And then a lot of me wanted Kenny and Tommy to get the job. Uh, obviously disappointed when they didn't. And then, but when, when the gaffer came in, it was brilliant. His man management, he knew what he wanted. And... I think that helped from the March time, February, when John Barnes had left to get me confidence back to enjoy me football again. And going into that pre-season with the, when the gaffer came in, it was brilliant. He got John Robertson and Steve Walford. You know, he had staff who he could trust. And, you know, I had the zest back again. It was brilliant. And that season, no one expected us to do anything. But we the gaffer made some astute signing some class signings and it was going back to when we stopped 10 in a row we had a great dressing room and we could play football yeah mate we were so confident going out onto that pitch you know we had the blip at ibrox but apart from that nah, we demolished everybody and uh, it, what a great season uh, you know obviously the best season i had when i was at celtic and it was great to be part of it in terms of winning the treble, especially in that era when you had a Rangers team that was that was um, again had had really high profile players um, that era of Scottish football. When you look back at the names on both sides of the Glasgow divide, it's it's frightening when you look at it now. And and in terms of the, the dressing room, you had so many big characters in that dressing room. You had Lambert, you had Larson, the likes of Sutton, Lennon, Thompson. Yourself was in there. Um, what was that dressing room like? Because I imagine when you've got lots of big characters, some lively. dressing rooms would be tough. <laughs> but you mentioned lively there. I imagine you all just bounced off each other. That's the impression you get from the outside looking in anyway. It is. As I said, we had the great core of players that we had anyway. You know, you like to be Lambo, Lambert, Mialdis, myself. And the Gaffa brought in players who, first and foremost, could, were great footballers, but were great characters as well. You just mentioned most of them there. You know, uh, Lenny, Sutty, Alan Thompson, uh, Juice came from from Belgium, mixed in with what we'd already had at the dressing room. Uh, great characters, great dressing room, great footballers. Training was, you know, intense and. As it, going back to me other times at other clubs, it was great to be part of. You knew you had to be a, on your metal first and foremost to try and get into the team and to st- and then to stay in the team. Because, as I said before, we were we were just going into the games. The gaffer and his staff made us feel so confident that we were going into every game saying, we're going to win this, no matter. I've got to... To ask you about Chris in particular because I interviewed um, Didier Agat last week and, and asked him, I said, who was the most, uh, who's the biggest joker, the most lively 
player in the dressing room and he said, oh, Chris Sutton, he said all he did would, would be wind everyone up, whether you were a youth player <laughs> or the manager or a senior pro. He said, didn't matter who you were, he would come for you. So, T, as you can probably tell now, he does not give a, give a monkeys about anybody, you know. He was so funny, he's so dry, he's very hard to get to know. You know, I think it'd be, he's a deep person, but once you get into him, he's, uh, he's a great lad. We got, you know, there was, we had our little group where we all got changed in the, in the old dressing room. So it was me, Stubbsy, Lambo, who was up in the corner. Sooty and Lenny were all, we were all very close in proximity to where we all got changed. So that's where the most of the carry-on was, the most of the liveliness was happening in the dressing room. But as I said, Sooty, very, very, very intelligent, very intelligent footballer, very intelligent off the pitch. I said, you did have to get to know him, but yeah, but everybody's different, Callum, you know. Some people wouldn't like Chris, but, you know, most of us loved him for the way he was, and he was so dry. And he is, yes, he, he was part and parcel of most of what, what, what went on in the dressing room. One of the things I ask you about is, um, is, is Martin's man management because very, very highly rated manager, a manager who, when you look at what he did down at Aston Villa as well, absolutely superb and, and Leicester before Celtic too. But, but Chris has said this in the past that, that Martin would have a go at basically everyone in the dressing room except for Henrik at times. Was that the case? <laughs> well, if you've got someone who scored 50 odd goals, Callum, I'll not be having a go at him either, do you know what I mean? <laughs> he, Gaffer had a great knack. His man management style was up there with him. He was class. He had this knack. I'll just tell you a quick. Before we won the game against St. Mirren on the Saturday to win the league, we played Dundee on the Wednesday night. Where if we'd won the game, we were going into the Saturday, beat St. Mirren, then be champions. So, uh, we won him one nil at half time. I'd scored, and so coming in half time, but I was having an absolute shocker. You know, my touch was off. It wasn't the best anyway. But Gaffer comes in, and you know Gaffer's going to have a go at someone. That was he, whether it was his ploy or whatever. It was it was always just to keep you on your toes because as soon as he walked in, the dressing room was quiet. The amount of respect that he gained and had from all the players was unbelievable. So the Gaffer would come in, and I know it's my turn. I'm getting it. So he comes in, Tommy, and I went, I know Gaffer, I'm sorry. He went, your touch is off, you're making the wrong runs, you're not linking play up, you're not getting in behind and all that. So, and I went, I know Gaffer, I'm sorry. And he said, shut up, shut up. And then he kept going on and then he just went, but by the way, does it matter? And I went, what do you mean Gaffer? He said, you've scored the goal, haven't you? So whatever I've just said there, take no notice, you've scored. And then walks out of the room. So he had an absolute knack of getting his point across to you. But then in the next instance, making me feel 100 feet tall. So he went out the dressing room. And then obviously Robbo and Wally were having a chat with us all. You know, you win the night, lads. And then that's it on Saturday. You're going to win the league. So the gaffer comes in just before we go out for the second half. Sat us down again and just said, listen, lads. That's gone the first half. You're winning 1-0. Just go out and win this game now. Play like you can play. Go and win the game. And then, on Saturday, we can go and beat St Mirren and then you can have the biggest party in the world. 
That's how great he made you feel and how his man management was. We are walking out 10 foot tall, going into that second half against Dundee. Dundee scored, <laughs> so it's 1-1. And then Big Johan scored in, with about 10 minutes to go, I think. It, was, it wasn't far from the end. And the place just erupted. And we come into that dressing room afterwards, knowing that we're going to beat Vincent Mirren before the games even started on the Saturday. And that was... That was Martin O'Neill, the man manager. Unbelievable. You mentioned John Robertson there, and I need to ask you about John because a legend of football as well. For that Nottingham Forest team, I know Martin was involved as well, but John was just one of the superstars of football of that era. What was he like as a character? Because everyone always says he enjoyed a cigarette or five and, and he was a big personality. Massive. Uh, the Gaffer staff were unbelievable. He trusted them. And if you don't have the gaffer's trust, you've got no chance. You know, I've learned that over the years now. I'm still in contact with him. You know, I spoke to him the other day. And Robbo, he lives about, he lives in Nottingham. So he's about 10, 15 minutes from me. I'm actually going to, obviously, I've seen him just before lockdown. And I'll go and see him when lockdown's over with. Uh, Robbo was brilliant. You had the gaffer, you had Wally who'd done more or less all the training. But Robbo was a go-between. You know, any problems you had, not that we had many, you would speak to Robbo. But Robbo, was, he was, his character was great. And he could play. He could still play then. You know, we used to have a little seven aside on a, on a, on a, a day before game, young very old, and Robbo would be playing left wing. And I always remember Mark Draper playing out there with the Notts County and Villa saying his, his all-time favourite player was John Robertson when he played for Forest. And you look back at the games when they won the European Cups and what an absolutely fantastic players and a great bloke as well. The gaffer pulled the master stroke off with his staff and, and Robbo was definitely high on that list. And, and, and he is a, you could have a laugh with him. He played cards with us. Yes, you, him and Wally would be down in the tunnel after training having a cigarette, but that was them. They weren't going to change. And, and they knew their stuff about football as well. You know, they were great on the training ground. They were great with the tactics. And, you know, uh, they, were, they were part of how we've done so well. With the, the players we've talked about, with Martin and his staff, really just from the outside looking in, seemed like the perfect storm to dominate Scottish football. And that, as you say, that's what you definitely did in that season with the treble because you, you, were, you were playing great football. Every game you were into... The, the opposition knew that they were in for a, a tough battle and with players like Henrik, Sutty, Hartson, etc. up top, yourself, there was always goals in the team as well. Oh, definitely. You know, it's, oh, it was just a pleasure to play because you knew you'd get chances. That was the thing. The only disappointing thing throughout my Celtic career is the injuries and not playing more to score more goals because I just loved and I think everyone goes on about me celebrations and all that. My feeling was it could have been my last ever goal. So why not? Am I going to enjoy it? <laughs> so, but you had players who were scoring goals from everywhere. Even Lambo was chipping in, big Johan, Houston score, big Ramon Vega. Uh, I think Lenny got a couple now and again, but you've got the likes of Sooty, Henrik, Lubo, goals coming in from everywhere and you would guarantee to have chances no matter who we play. Well, that's the thing. Chances, as you know, lead to goals and goals win games. So 
the most obvious statement mm-hmm. in the world. And, and I mean, the more chances you get, the more chance you've you've got. So, in terms of the success, the celebrations for yourself, you talked about injuries and not playing as much as you'd like at times because of the injuries. Mm-hmm. When it came to to leaving Celtic, just how tough was that? Because although you had some bad injuries, you're, 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 when you look back at your goal ratio, it's one and two. Yeah, I know. That's, that's uh, as I just mentioned, Karen, that was a thing I would have looked to have played a lot more. That was in the injuries, you know, my first season with them. I never played and I was fit. He just didn't choose to play me. But how can you argue with him? Because we stopped 10 in a row. Uh, Joseph, I was injured. John Barnes, no comment. As I've said, and then you know the gaffer comes in. When I would come to leave the gaffer, we'd won the we'd won the treble. Uh, so I spoke to the gaffer. I went and seen the gaffer, and he says, "I'm going to give you a new." He offered me a new contract, and I just said, "Thanks, but no thanks, gaffer." I was at the stage in my career where I just wanted to play regular, and I knew I wasn't going to be playing regular. You know, uh, obviously there was Henrik, uh, Sutty, Lou, Bogo play up there. Uh, the gaffer was John Hartson. It was just about the same. So I was going to be fourth choice striker. And he made that clear as well. And I knew it deep down. And, and it was, yeah, it was it was tough to leave. But it was, in my eyes, it was the right decision. You know, I was 30. It wasn't about the money. You know, I could have signed again on very, very good money. But it wasn't about that. I just wanted to play football regularly. And I knew I was. it wasn't going to happen. And... You know, yes, I did have tough times at Celtic, but the last year was fantastic. You know, and I couldn't have wished for a better, better ending to my Celtic career. You know, no one mentions their injuries, the bad times, the bad managers. You know, I just mentioned that year when we won the treble, and you know, I'm glad I stayed and seen it and seen the contract out because I could have left many times, but I didn't want to. I wanted to try and prove that I could actually play there. You know, and it worked out in the end, and you always remembered for that goal against St Mirren. Absolutely, is, uh, fantastic. Yeah. From Celtic, you go back down south. Sheffield Wednesday was going back down south. The, 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 what you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just had our little girl. You know, she was a couple of years old. I think it was a case of getting back down the road, playing football back down and uh, back down in England. It was. I think there was a couple of sniffs about staying up in Scotland, which if it materialised, possibly I could have stayed up there. But I think that uh, the, the TV revenue, it, it, it stopped and all that, and clubs couldn't afford to pay decent salaries and all that. And, and it wasn't about money again. It was just, you know, if a club had offered me something up in Scotland, it possibly I could have stayed up there because, of, you know, we love living up there. But... I think in the end, yeah, going back to England was a was was a decision that me and my family wanted to do. You go back down, you go to Sheffield Wednesday, and then, ironically enough, as we've just talked about, you end up returning to Scotland not too long after with Kilmarnock. What attracted <coughs> you back at that time? Bobby Williamson. Yeah, I didn't have a good time at Sheffield Wednesday. I'd still had my house up in. Up in uh, Newton Mans, my wife was still up there uh, with the youngin, and I thought this was Christmas time. I thought, let you know, they've offered me something till the end of the season, and just thought, why not? You know, they were in the Premier League. They had a, they had a good team, had a great manager. Sat down with Bobby, 
and it was just a case of enjoying me football again, you know, and I absolutely loved it at Kilmarnock. It was brilliant, you know, I was playing, I was scoring goals, and I was disappointed when he left for Hibs. That was my thing. And then uh, come to the end of the season, and as I mentioned before, the TV money, they couldn't offer this, the contract I was on and, and all that. But yeah, we did, I think the big thing was when Bobby left. You know, because I had so much respect for him and his staff, and I was just enjoying my football again. You mentioned the fact you're enjoying your football under Bobby. You're scoring goals as well. When he went to Hibs, were you hoping that you would maybe go to Hibs as well, or at that point, were you wanting a new challenge altogether? No, there was talk of it. I'd spoke to Bobby about it. You know, uh, he'd gone to Hibs, and I think it was probably down to finances again. Uh, I keep going on about money. I'm not money orientated at all, but uh, you know, it was, it was said he, he'd gone over there, and I think that it makes it with the squad that he had. So uh, he couldn't make big signings, shall we say? So uh, no, we didn't mention it, and you know, if the chance had been available for us, I probably would have gone there, but it wasn't. So no, it was there was no problem with that at all. So. It was a decision of sitting down at the end of the season then and just deciding what is the best move for me at this time in my career. In the end, you, you choose Gillingham. Um, again, the nature of going back down south, was, was, was that the main, the main aim because you wanted to be closer to, 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 to the original home? Yeah, but it, uh, I think it was a case of just getting back down to England and playing regularly and enjoying my football again, you know, and <laughs> with disrespect to myself, I wasn't going back down. I was 30, 31, I think, you know, I was coming, I'm in the latter stages of my career and it was just a case of enjoying my career until whenever it finished. And Gillian and Gillian and provided that, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a small club, family club, went down, support the manager and chairman and just thought, do you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, they were in the championship at the time. And I went, yeah, I fancy this. You know, and we loved our time living in Kent. You know, two and a half, three years there. And it was a great place to live. It was a small club. No one expected you to do really anything. I think we fin- when I was there, we finished ninth and tenth in the championship, which for a club the size of Gillingham was fantastic. And But the injuries were getting more and more, Callum. You know, there was hamstring size. Of, you know, I think it goes... I played a lot of football by the time I was 21, 22. I played on nigh on 200 games. So whether it catches up with you in the end, who knows? I don't know the sports science part of it. But uh, uh, you were taking longer to recover from injuries. And, you know, at, at the end of my contract, I, I, I did actually get to manage to play till I was 35, which uh, which was great. But uh, I had a great time at Gillian. Yeah, it was uh, totally enjoyable again. Following Gillingham, there was a, a brief spell at Sheffield United, then Scunthorpe and, and Tamworth as well. At the end of the at the end of those spells and towards the end of them, I should say, with the injuries you'd had, was was your mind already sort of made up? Yeah, I've, I've got the thirty-five. I think if you'd said anybody, you know, when you're sixteen, you're leaving home, you're going to play, in, you're going to have 19, 20, 20 years as a professional footballer. You'd snap your hands off, definitely. Uh, I knew then, yeah, I could have carried on. There was, 
a couple of clubs in the lower league so was saying will you come in pre-season and do training and all that and I just thought the body had had enough Callum I probably could have carried on with a push but I'm just thinking you know what I just want to I want to enjoy me enjoy me summer <laughs> you know because it was a case of always training even when we, were, we weren't in for pre-season training during May and June you were still training to keep yourself fit so I just knew then you know uh, I wasn't enjoying it. I hadn't enjoyed me last spell at Scunthorpe and Tamworth. I knew the manager and it was half an hour for me. I was in the assistant manager. It was part-time football, but it was a team that was struggling, you know. And I just thought, nah, this is it. This is it. And no qualms about it. Had an absolute great career. People say, do they miss football? Yes, I miss the camaraderie of going into the dressing rooms with the lads and all that, but did I miss it? No, it was time to move on to another part of my life. We all get old, we've all got to change jobs at some stage, so just a case of sitting down and deciding what I wanted to do. Absolutely, and the last broad question I've got for you, Tommy, before some quick fire is, how do you reflect on your career overall? Because, as I said at the start, you've won major trophy, you won a major trophy in England with Aston Villa, you won the treble at Celtic along with uh, the League Cup in 2000, as we mentioned earlier too. So again, lots of people can't say that about their career. So I imagine you look back on it with, with fondness, but just just also part of you wishing that the injuries had been a wee bit kinder to you, especially at Celtic. Yeah, Callum, you've just mentioned it there. Would you like that career? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Even there half of it. <laughs> exactly. You know, I had a fantastic career, definitely. Yes, we go about the injuries and not playing for certain managers, but overall, from when I started at 16 into what I had when I finished medal-wise and the clubs that I've played for, without a shadow of a doubt, no regrets at all. It can't be. You know, injuries happen. I can't help that. Managers don't like you. You can't help that. Managers love you. Great. Managers playing you all the time, having confidence in you, playing in front of 60,000 every week at Celtic. Who doesn't want to be part of that? You know, uh, I'm getting a, you know, frogging me throat now. Yeah, I look back at my career and say, yeah, you've done well. You know, come from Newcastle, brought up with nothing. And to achieve that, what I've achieved, yeah, I'm, I'm highly delighted with that. And would I have changed things? No. As I mentioned, the injuries, yes. But, no, you can't. God, you'd be mad to say I didn't have a great career. You know, I played 500 games and won trophies and medals and scored goals. Played in some fantastic stadiums. Met fantastic people on and off the pitch who I'm still very close to now. So, it's, uh, no, it's been a great career. Absolutely, totally agree. And, and to finish with some quick fire, I want to go down the non-football route. First of all, favourite sport mm-hmm. outside of football? Oh, golf, without a shadow. I've got my golf gear on now. I'm ready to go and play. So, that's me. I love golf. <laughs> and it's been a bit tough for lockdown, but uh, it's a bit windy out there in the minute, Callum, but I'm sure we'll be all right. Yes, I, I just love golf. I loved skiing when I retired. The first thing I wanted to do when I retired was went skiing. So, I went with a family, went with friends and family for the last few years and it's uh, it's great, but uh, golf's the sport. Who's your favourite sportsman outside of football? Great question. Well, I used snooker players. I know Jimmy White. I loved him. Uh, I think golf-wise, it was Tiger Woods. But what he done in it, unbelievable! What he done 
in the early part of his career and then after all these troubles on and off the golf course to come back and win a major last year the year before was fantastic Staying on the golf element which player that you've played with or a manager was the best at golf and why? Oh, good question Craig Burley's good at golf I think he was up about eight Stubbs he's not bad Mark Draper played with at Notts County he's a great golfer I think he's off about six now so yeah I'll never get down to them realms I'm afraid but it's uh, it's something I enjoy absolutely um, favourite band oh I used to love Genesis Phil Collins still do 80s music's for me uh, all day long you know I'm, I'm Still do a lot of exercise. I go on my bike and I'll just put hard 80s on on me on me phone and hard 80s when I'm in the car. But oh, favorite part, uh, favorite sorry favorite film. Oh, oh, I'm not. I don't really watch many films. I'm probably more into box sets and all that. But I would say the favorite film I watched was A Few Good Men a few years ago. Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore. And who else was in it? Can't remember. But that that was a that was a film a few years ago. So that's probably my favourite film. Where's the your favourite place that you've travelled to in your life so far? Oh, when we were at Celtic, me obviously the family, wife and kids. Uh, Bill O'Donnell, God bless uh, Eileen, the kids, Darren uh, Jackson, wife, kids. All used to go to a place in Turkey called Lycia Will in Olodanez, which was basically just for kids. You know, all swimming pools. Uh, they put on shows for them and they were involved in the shows. And it was just somewhere to go at the end of the season for, after, for two weeks after a hard season and just chill. So they were the best holidays I've ever had uh, at Lycia World in Turkey with, with the lads who I mentioned. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, don't worry, I've, I've only got a few left. A few football ones, best players you played with? Henrik, without a shadow, Paul McGrath at Aston Villa, Republic of Ireland centre-half. Never trained, done five-a-side and set pieces on a Friday and then would be man of the match every <laughs> week. Wow. Best direct opponent? When I was younger, it was Stuart Pearce, who, who was at Forest in England. Uh, he used to just kick lumps out of us. Absolutely just launcher. So he was probably the toughest I played against. Most underrated player you played with? We've mentioned Burles, but I wouldn't say underrated. Uh, Big Johan, is he underrated? I think it's a bit harsh by saying underrated, but probably didn't get the headline news as much as, you know, yeah, Henrik's your Sutties, your Lenny's, you know. I wouldn't, so I wouldn't say they were underrated, undervalued, no, but just got on with the job. So I would probably say Big Johan, who was immense. Best manager for you and why? Oh, I've mentioned them all, haven't I? Gosh. They're all different in their own special way, Callum. Uh, Neil Warnock, he's my management and he's camaraderie with the players, Arthur Cox, because of the way we played the game. Brian Little was brilliant for us because he made me Realise I could I could play the free role, uh, and obviously Tommy Burns because of his passionate how passionate he was about the game and his knowledge of the game, 
and then you've got the gaffer, uh, Martin O'Neill. They're all called gaffer, by the way. I call them all gaffer, so <laughs> uh, you probably get mixed up there. But Martin O'Neill in me last season was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, his man management and the way he made you feel, you know, that you could beat anybody was different class. Ronaldo and Messi? Messi. Clough or Ferguson? Clough. Oh, interesting. See, everyone I ask that question to normally comes back very quickly with Ferguson or they think about it and say Clough, but you're very quick with Clough there. Why Clough? Oh, straight away. Smallest squad in the world. Nottingham Forest, not one of the bigger teams. Win the league, get promoted, win the league, then win the European Cup twice. Sorry. (laughs) And living in Nottingham as well. You know, and with the gaffer playing for them and Rob Wolf playing for them, you know, it's uh, yeah, believe me, without a shadow of doubt, Sir Alex Ferguson done an absolutely fantastic job. But uh, for me, Brian Clough, the last question I've got for you, Tommy, you've been relieved to hear. Um, what advice would you give to any young footballers listening to this, considering that you've played the game at the highest level and you're now involved in the recruitment side and you will be looking at young players as well? Attitude. Make sure you go out onto that training ground and give your all. Off the pitch, respect your elders and listen and learn. You know, we played the game. It's not a case of who's that. You know, you don't have a clue. We know how hard it is and how tough it is to be a professional footballer. Listen and learn. Respect and give it your all. Give 100% all the time. And make sure you listen to the right people off the pitch. Make sure your finances are in order. And make sure you get the right agent. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Callum, any time. It's been great uh, reflecting on the, on the career I've had. Yes, uh, very good. I enjoyed it. <laughs>